0: Hey guys, what's up? Yeah, um, thank you for the warm reception. Um, yeah, it's just a joy to to be back here. Uh, I, I, had the, I had the honor of sharing the Word of God, I believe, uh, on your 40th anniversary last summer. And uh, my wife and I had such a tremendously good time. Uh, so we're thankful to be back. Uh, speaking of, I'd like to... Say hi. Um, I like my wife to say hi to you guys. So if you look behind you, there she is, my wife Nikki. Hi. Okay. Hi. Yeah, before I give the word of life, right? I gotta give you my wife. Yeah, that's right. And uh, guys, uh, I say this like this is just like like a, a, a sermonette before the main course. Uh, you know, uh, the the theme is so pertinent and. Um, and, and so it's, and it's a particular resonation uh, within me as I hear that theme, true righteousness because before I was married uh, I could say I find my righteousness, my worth my dignity, my beauty my honor, my goodness in Christ alone but once you get married, I've been married for a year and a half uh, it's just a whole new ballgame of how you can cling to Christ you ought to cling to Christ uh, as your righteousness um, because I've discovered that I have found my righteousness or my goodness or my, my worth in so many other things outside of Christ. And just getting married and going through the ups and downs and the trials and errors has really uh, shown light on uh, the darkness of my heart, but also uh, how, how oblivious I am, the blind spots in my life. And so I'm so grateful to preach on this theme. Um, With all that said, uh, I'd like to read a portion of Scripture uh, in Romans chapter 5. If you can turn there with me, Romans chapter 5. And we're going to look at chapter 5. I'm going to start from verse 1, but I'm going to skim through some of the verses. Uh, uh, For the sake of time, I won't read the entire portion, but I I, I would like us to look at... uh, several verses from chapter 5 of Romans. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Okay, Could we have to... uh, We have to answer two questions about this theme. Um, You know, what is righteousness? And why is it so important? Uh, Because the theme is true righteousness, so... Use your deductive reasoning, right? There's false righteousness, right? There's pseudo righteousness, there's counterfeit righteousness. The theme is true righteousness. Amen? And um, in Romans 5, uh, Paul describes uh, righteousness um, implicitly and uh, explicitly, and he gives us an understanding of why it is so, so important. It is essential. And that it was so impossible that only Christ could accomplish this righteousness. So look at Romans chapter 5 verse 1 with me. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I'm going to pause right there. I want you guys to understand that apart from uh, having faith in Christ and receiving His righteousness, His perfection, His obedience to the law and submission uh, to the Father, um, without the righteousness of God, God cannot stand the sight of us. He cannot stand the sight of you. He cannot stand the sight of me. It is repulsive, it is disgusting. Also, without the righteousness of God in my life, uh, consuming me, I cannot stand the sight of God. It is repulsive. It is flavorless and plain and uninteresting. Without the righteousness of God, the true righteousness that comes from Christ, God is boring uninteresting and mundane in fact I am allergic to God I am allergic to him see Paul tells us in verses 1 and 2 of Romans that because we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ we have access into his presence into his grace which causes us unspeakable joy we rejoice um, in the hope of the glory of God Christ in me is the hope of glory uh, Colossians talks about that too I'm going um, to skim down to verse 6 or speed down to verse 6 and verse 6 says for while we were still weak and you might want to underline that word weak for while we were still weak at the right time Christ died for the ungodly so if you're weak tonight you're in the right place That's when we're strongest, right? When we know we are weak. For salvation becomes real. It is ours. But Verse 7 says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. I'm gonna pause again. I want you guys to understand that uh, in the gospel. God tells us that, uh, that, that Jesus Christ, God himself, saved us from himself. The wrath of God was coming, is coming. God saved us not just from hell, not just from sin, not just from death, but God saved us from his wrath. God saved us from himself, by himself, and for himself. Right? Apostle Paul is laying these things down. These are bars. I don't know if you're a hip-hop fan, right? But these are bars. He's trying to show us through these verses that God has saved us by Himself, for Himself, and from Himself. The wrath of God is upon us. Jesus says in uh, John 3.36 that uh, if you do not believe in the Son, then the wrath of God remains on you. So I love you all, and I, and, and I don't know you by name. I may not know you, um, but the wrath of God is upon anyone in this room who does not confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And that's not to shun you. It's to, it's to present uh, and introduce who Christ is. He is Savior, and He is Lord. Now I'm just going to... um. Look at verse 12 as well. Uh, I'm almost done with this chapter. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, that's Adam, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Righteous. Uh, it's what the theologians call double imputation. Okay? I want you guys to understand something about this righteousness, my friends. Even before I, I really just dive into the main text tonight. That that many people get it twisted that when you believe in Christ, uh, your debt is paid, right? And so they look at it like... like uh, uh, like finances or a monetary scale, that my debt is paid, so I'm at zero, right? My balance is zero. But according to the gospel, according to the, the uh, epistle written by Apostle Paul, not only is your debt paid, but now you are filthy rich. Christ receives our unrighteousness and self-righteousness, and we get all of his righteousness. And I don't know, I don't know if you understand that uh, terminology and finances in the bank, right? There's imputation where the money is transferred over, the funds are transferred over. If you are in Christ today, I want you to hear this message according to this passage, that you are righteous. You can do righteous things. Identity determines activity. I can love my wife. I can love my brother. I can love my neighbor. I can forgive. I can forbear. I can be merciful. Not because I am any of those things, but because my righteousness is in Christ. I am. My identity determines my activity. But if I believe I am unrighteous, I will bear fruits of unrighteousness. Unknowingly. And ignorantly, even though I may be saved and in Christ. I want us to uh, turn our Bibles to Genesis 3. This would be the heart of, this, of, the, of the night. This would be the heart, um, the main passage of the night in Genesis 3. I want us to share, I want, I want to share with you all how we lost our righteousness in the Garden of Eden. This is not folklore. This is not mythology. This is not a fantasy, a fictional tale. This really happened. Genesis 3 really happened along with Genesis 1 2. Okay, so let's look at this. And even if you have a hard time believing that this occurred according to the Bible, um, I ask that you would bear with me as I read it with full belief and earnestness. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. I'm going to pause again and I want you to notice something. Romans 5 is absolutely right on point because look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and, that, and they knew that they were naked. When Eve, or the woman, ate the fruit, nothing happened. It's when the man ate. Sin entered the world. Right? Sin entered the world through a man. And when you see the rampant nature of sin throughout the world... I don't know how else to say it, but men are responsible, everything follows our lead. Young men, older men alike, please think about that. It follows, everything in this world follows our lead, our household, our churches, our respective families, follows our lead. And verse seven says, and the eyes of both were na- in and the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sowed fig leaves. They sowed fig leaves together. I'm sorry, my 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 app messed up. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Verse 11, God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? So yes, the woman's said, fault too. And the woman, played the, they all play the blame game, right? The woman blames the serpent, the man blames the woman, and God... You guys may already know the story. But I want you guys to look at verse 15 with me. Uh, As he curses the serpent, God reveals the gospel. In verse 15, the good news. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between you and your offspring and her offspring. I'm sorry, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And then there's other curses that come upon the woman and upon the man, but then I want you to skip down to verse 20. After you hear the curses upon man and woman, if I were Adam and I had to name my wife, what shall I name her? I don't want to sound uh, crass or, or derogatory, but put yourself in Adam's shoes for a second not shoes, put, put himself in his place for a second and ask yourself if you were the husband or the man and it was time for you to name your wife after hearing all these curses, this doom and gloom, what would you name her? Use your imagination, right? You could have named her many bad things, negative things, belittling things. But verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve. Because she was the mother of all living. Do you know why Adam called his wife Eve, the giver of life? Because he believed in verse 15. That she would produce the Savior. She would, that the Savior would come through the offspring of this woman. And verse 21, is the last verse I'll read for, um, from this text. Verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Uh, Let's bow our heads and ask God for help, ask the Holy Spirit for guidance, for empowerment, for, for ears to hear and for eyes to see the Savior, the beauty of Jesus Christ, the majesty of our King. So let's pray uh, for a moment. O God, there is no other, there is none like you, and apart from you we have no good thing. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore, and in your presence there is rejoicing. Jesus, you are at the right hand of the Father, and I ask that you would intercede for your, your people And you would help us to realize uh, how much we need you. That we would not minimize sin um, as to minimize your work on the cross. Uh, But instead, we would see the weight of our sin, feel the burden of our sin, so that we may be able to magnify the cross and celebrate your work and not our work whether it's bad or good, that we will celebrate your work instead of ours. God, I know that I am weak and I am weary and I am not in the right place to preach tonight, but I stand upon the grounds of your righteousness, not mine. So I will preach with all my heart, the heart that you have renewed and I received by grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I know uh, there's a lot of exposition and uh, a lot of unpacking to be done in those passages, but I want you guys to understand uh, why Pastor Wujin and your leaders have chosen this theme, true righteousness, because there's an implicit danger of putting on our own brand name, <laughs> designer, garments, Skin loincloths, uh, loin fig leaves, right? Everything about you and me is really about covering up our shame. And because we are Asian, because most of us are, um, I believe, Korean-American, or at least Asian from what I can see with my own two eyes, you know, we come from a shame-based culture. And that's an area that the gospel has really spoken into my life, and I know has probably spoken into many of yours, how God became our shame, right? He took our shame upon him. And being in a shame-based culture, uh, I think the gospel leaks a little bit faster than I think in other people groups or other cultures. We go through this gospel amnesia, right? I like to call it. It's gospel amnesia. And we, we tend to cover up ourselves not with the work of Christ, but with our own work. Our own degrees. Our own cars. Our own looks. These manufactured, man-made, or I should say fabricated forms of righteousness. Uh, What is righteousness? Uh, I think in a technical or a Webster dictionary definition, it's just to live um, according to the law, to abide by the statutes uh, of God's commands, something like that. You could define it like that. But I I like to think of, of righteousness relationally because that's how the Bible describes it. It's relational. You ever been to a wedding? I, I, pres- I suppose you've been a part of one, you have already had one, a personal wedding like myself, or you attended a wedding, you've had the honor of attending a wedding. And if you scan the room during the banquet or the reception, <laughs> I, I don't know how else to say this, but you can tell who's more righteous than another, right? Who has a closer relationship to the groom and the bridegroom, right? You can, if you scan the room, like, according to what table you're at, according to where you're sitting, like, if you're sitting next to the bathroom, then you're kind of unrighteous. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? You're next to the bathroom. You, you're not so righteous, right? You didn't have that kind of direct line with the, with the, with the bride and the bridegroom. You know what I mean? Right? Right? But if you're next to them or right in front of them, There's undoubted righteousness in that relationship, right? Yeah. There's there's unmitigated and abundant righteousness um, in that relationship between the bride, bridegroom, and those respective people. Guys, what Adam and Eve lost in the garden, yes, is their relationship with God. Their perfection, their unblemished nature, right? Because they were always naked, right? But they realized they were naked. And it wasn't clothes. It wasn't extra epidermis. They lost a right relationship with God. And they hid. They hid from God because they lost a right relationship with Him. I think of righteousness, uh, when I think of righteousness, I also think of my father, my biological father. Uh, when I was six years old, I was a latchkey kid. Y'all want to know what a latchkey kid is? Right? You know what a latchkey kid is? Latchkey kid is, uh, to sum it up, it's, it's a young person uh, who wears a key tied like this chain, but wears a key around their neck and... Usually tucks it into their shirt, so no one knows they're a latchkey kid. But it's the way they don't lose their house key. And uh, I was the kind of latchkey kid. Um, they came into an empty home every afternoon. I walked into an empty home every afternoon. Uh, after school, i get off the bus. There was nobody waiting for me. The other kids had their parents waiting for them, or at least one parent waiting for them. But I had nobody waiting for me at the bus stop. I would get off, and I would take my key out, open the door, and I would let myself in to an empty house, I was in first grade. And, uh, I remember that my parents would work all day in the grocery store, in the uh, in, in the inner city of Baltimore. And, uh, and there were some nights where they were, they were delayed. And I would wonder, were they shot, or did something happen, right? Did we get burglarized again? Um, not burglarized, mugged again. Uh, and so, there were, there were times where I was wondering where are they, but before they would arrive, one thing I was responsible for was preparing the table for dinner, and so I would get the chopsticks out, the spoons, the banchan, the rice, right, and just and I and I would try to make things symmetrical and orderly. And I remember uh, my father had this um, this hoopty. Um, he had this like black van, right. Uh, in Korean, we call it dongcha, okay? All right, um, and and uh, the hoopti and we would, I mean, they would come down the street, and I could hear my dad's car because it was such a junky car, right? It was a horrid vehicle, and I could hear it down the street, like boom, 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 right? And then I could hear it, and then I would hear his car pull up to the driveway, hear his brakes squeal, and then boom, he would close his Front door, uh, his uh, driver's door. My mom would, boom, shut her passenger door. And I could hear my father's keys jingling. And then I would come to the front door. And he would open the door, and I would bow. I would, right? And I would, I would be like a puppy uh, waiting for their owner every night. Just waiting for my father to come home and, and say hi. Right and and and, um, and be embraced, be be delighted in. Um, but you know, uh, fast forward, several years later, um, things changed in my house. Things changed in my life. Um, I I started getting into a lot of bad or or uh, unfortunate activities. Um, you know, whether it's watching things I shouldn't be watching, such as pornography. Or, uh, or, or, or doing things with my friends I shouldn't be doing. Um, when I was six, I, I anticipated my father's arrival. But then when I turned around, around 10 or 11 or 12, I despised my father's arrival. And so when I would hear the same thing, the car, the junk car coming down the street, the huffing and puffing of the vehicle, instead of joy and gladness, I felt shame and fear. I was terrified. And when when I heard the keys jingling at the front door, I hid whatever I was doing, who I really was. And then I would put on a cover. I finished my homework. I got the table set. I did my chores, but it was all hard cover. That's a picture of what happened in the garden. And that may be a picture of what happened in your home. You, know, you look at your relationships with your family, with your, with your, um, with your mother and father. Uh, these people have seen you naked, Literally. but there's so much we cover up. There's so much we hide. Um, God is showing us uh, in this passage how we lost our righteousness. Um, And we lost our righteousness because we put ourselves in a place where we don't belong. In the place of God. Because that is how Satan tempted Adam and Eve. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like Him. You will be the measure of all things, a.k.a. relativism, moral relativism, whatever you want to call it. That You will be the measure of all things. You will be the judge of all. You can determine for yourself what is right and what is wrong, and that's what I did, and I still do that. There is a DA living in my heart, a defense attorney living in my heart that justifies everything I do. Everything I do. How I speak to my wife, how I speak to my neighbor, even how I speak to myself. How I treat others, how I look at the church. It justifies. The heart is wicked and deceitful. Who can understand it, Jeremiah says. It is wicked above all things. And we, and, uh, and, be, and, and we justify all these things because we want to be like God. And that's the irony. Once we want to be in the place of God, on the throne, we lose everything. We lose everything. Uh, Adam and Eve were told that you will be like God by Satan. And Satan also said that you will not die because, surely you will not die because God is holding out on you. And God knows that if you eat this fruit, you will be like him. That is where sin always starts in our lives when we put ourselves in the place of God, when we believe that we are wiser than God, that we are smarter than God, that we are better than God, that we are actually be, be, uh, more righteous judges than God. I don't know how many youth retreats I've spoken at where uh, the youth asked me questions like, if God is good then how can he send people to hell, right? Or if God is loving, then how can he uh, determine uh, whether a man or woman who's never heard of Jesus uh, ought to go to hell? And I know these are tough questions, but we put God on trial. That's my point. We're putting God on trial. We're not on trial. God is on trial. Those are legitimate questions. Please don't... um, Please don't, please don't misunderstand me. Those a legitimate question and it should be contemplated and discussed. However, we're putting God on trial, right? We're putting God on trial. But the good news that we see in uh, verse 15 is that even though that sin is putting myself in a place where I don't deserve, that I don't belong, which is the place of God, salvation is when God puts himself in a place that he does not deserve to be in. And that's in our place. Let me explain. We see grace in, in the opening of this, um, of this saga. When sin entered the world, the question that I want us to think about, God is the unmoved mover, and he is the grand initiator, because he asks a question Think about it for a second. An omniscient God humbles himself and inquires. Guys, think about this. If you're omniscient, you don't ask questions, correct? You don't need to. It's futile, right? It's pointless. But an omniscient God humbles himself. Puts himself in the place of Adam, in the place of humanity, right there. It says, Where are you? That's our God. He says, Where are you? This omniscient, all knowing God demeans himself and pretends as if he wonders anything. It says, Adam, where are you? He knows where Adam is. But he wants Adam to hear the grace, to feel the grace, the mercy. And then Adam says that, Adam says that he is, um, he heard the sound of God. Verse 8, he heard the sound. Uh, um, verse 10, I'm sorry. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. At the end of chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 25, the Bible says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. In Genesis 2, 25, it says that, And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. There was a time when everything was beautiful and nothing hurt. Everything was beautiful and nothing hurt. And now he's afraid, and everything hurts. There's anxiety, there's depression, and there is chaos and mayhem in his heart. Not in the garden, in his heart. It is in the heart of man, where there is chaos and disorder and havoc. You don't see any signs of it in the garden, right? It's in the heart. He is afraid of God. He is afraid of himself. And he hid. See, when, when you are unrighteous, when you are a sinner a, without grace, you are a stranger to God. You are a stranger to your wife or husband, to your, to your favorite friends. And most of all, perhaps, you are a stranger to yourself. Why do we, play, why do we pray, uh, pay? psychiatrists, gobs and gobs of money, to hear us talk and explain who we are. we are a stranger. But here is this God who knows all things. And he says, where are you? And he wants Adam to hear that he is afraid. He has never felt fear before until this moment. He has never felt terror but he feels it toward God. Do you feel terror toward God tonight? Are you afraid to die? Do you wonder where you will go after you perish because everything ends? We are all like a carton of milk, you see. Every carton of milk has an expiration date. And so do we. There's an expiration date on Adam's life now. And there's an expiration date on yours and mine. But God is good. And he asks, where are you? I'm glad that many of you have been coming to church for most of your life, but that doesn't matter right now. Where are you? Because church can be a cover too. Anything and everything has been a cover. They're called idols. And God says to Adam in verse 11, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Oh, what a benevolent God. He is not only rich, he is generous. Oh, goodness. I don't know what would have happened if Adam just said, All right, I messed up, God, I'm sorry. I don't know what would have happened, but he didn't say that. He's a sinner now. He's a sinner now. So he, sinners don't do that. Sinners don't say, my bad It's all my fault. I'm the problem. Sinners don't say that. Sinners never say that. Sinners say, it ain't my fault. It ain't my fault. It's your fault. It ain't my fault. It's your fault. It's my daddy's fault. It's my mama's fault. It's my wife's fault. It's my sister's fault. It's my brother's fault. God, it's your fault. Sinners always say that. The sinners' favorite curse word is "goddamn," because they mean it. And he was damned. He was damned for our sake. And he blames God. He blames the woman. The woman blames the serpent. Nobody claims responsibility like a car accident. Instead, God, he himself takes on that responsibility. Guys, I don't know what you're doing with your fear. I don't know what you're afraid of. If you're single tonight, The Korean culture terrorizes you and makes you afraid of never getting married. You tell a Korean Christian that the Bible says not everybody's supposed to get married, right? That's what Apostle Paul says very clearly in 1 Corinthians 7 not everybody's supposed to get married. You know, got time to hear that. I'm not righteous. I'm not worth anything. I, I'm not. I'm not if I don't get married, right? I was told that for decades as a pastor. I began preaching at age 19, and, you know, nobody expected me to get married at 19. But by the time I was 29, they were like, clock is ticking, homeboy. What is wrong with you? You should be ashamed of yourself. What is wrong with you? And you know what I would say in the gospel, according to Christ? A lot's wrong with me, but it ain't being single. <laughs> a lot's wrong with me, but it ain't being single. Because Paul was single, right? Jesus was single. Many of the prophets were single. So I don't think that's what's wrong with me. It ain't a sin to be single, amen? I want to encourage you guys out there. Or maybe, maybe you're at a school. You know, I started off on community college. And I remember when I was in community college at age 18. We call it grade 13. (laughs) We call it grade 13. I remember when I was in the Korean church going to community college. And so all my friends are going like Duke or University of Maryland or UVA. someplace nice and fancy and so And, uh, And I remember... When people ask me, so B, where you, go to, where you go to school? I would mumble, and they'd be like, I can't hear you. i go to Essex Community College, but I'm going to transfer. I'm going to transfer next semester. I'm so ashamed, I was afraid I would never get out of Community College. That I'd be stuck in grade 13. I don't know what you're afraid of. Maybe it's not literal death, but there is an echo of death all over this room. There's an echo of this death, this alienation, this estrangement that I also feel with my biological father. There's an echo of that funeral, that living funeral. And it might not be as petty as school or as serious as marriage or unemployment, But you feel its shadow. You feel it nipping at your heels. That it will devour you. And there's no returning. There's no life after death. My friends, as I close tonight, God has a message for the naked. God has a message for the unrighteous. God has a message for those who sleep around and are ashamed of themselves and disgrace their families. God also has a message for those who clothe themselves in self-righteousness because they don't sleep around. He has a message for everybody in this room, because we all fake it till we make it. We are all, even as a pastor, I fake it till I make it. You think I'm always nice? Man, you should see me when I clock out. (laughs) When no one's watching, Ask my wife. When no one's watching, how do I act? Who am I? We all fake it till we make it. And Adam and Eve chose to put on their man-made, homemade fig leaves and loincloth designer clothes. But do you know how the story ends? There's good news in the story, like all over Scripture. God had to kill something in that garden. God had to sacrifice something in the garden and strip it because God provided garments. God covered Adam and Eve. God clothed the unrighteous and disgraceful. God, God spoke order into chaos. But do you know, the only way you can be clothed by God tonight, by the blood of Jesus Christ, is only one way you can be clothed tonight, only one way you can be covered. It's very simple, but it's awfully difficult. <clears throat> Dang near impossible without the grace of God. What do you do before you shower? You've got to uncover, disrobe yourself, you have to get naked. Take off your clothes. You've got to put down what you had put on. See, God couldn't cover Adam and Eve with His clothes, with His promise of a future righteousness that would be permanent and unending until Adam and Eve took off their fig leaves and their garments a self-righteousness, and unrighteousness. Repentance is one of the most common words and expressions used in church vernacular, right, in church verbiage. Repent. Jesus says repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. John the Baptist says repent. You see, repent all over scripture. What does it mean to repent tonight according to this text? What does it mean to turn to God according to this text? It's not trying harder. And it's not doing more. It's going to be the hardest thing you can ever think of doing. And you know what that is? Especially for Asian American. Give up. Surrender. Look away. And look to Him. Don't trust in a prayer you prayed last year or many years ago. Don't trust in walking down an aisle. Don't trust in how many mission trips you've been on or how long you've been on the church, uh, some church team, or how many years you've been preaching or how many times you read the Bible all the way through and around. Don't trust those things. Stop trusting yourself. That's how sin happened. That's why sin keeps happening. We put ourselves in a place we do not belong. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came on this earth, God incarnate, full of grace and truth. And he put himself in a place that he did not deserve, that did not belong to him, on a wooden cross upon Calvary. He died and took our place. He was literally naked and spiritually undone and wrecked. He said things like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he's speaking to the Pharisees and the prostitutes. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because that was my greatest fear when my father came home from working all day. That he would see my life and he would disown me. As you guys see in this room, I am married to a lovely woman, but she is African American. And we know that some of us in this room, if we married outside of our race, if we married outside of our people, then we might get disowned. This is one of our greatest fears. But Christ came. He bled and died. Because you do deserve to be disowned. I deserve to be disowned. You uncover my life. You will never listen to another sermon from me. Christ came to cover me. We repent tonight by, by laying down our shame, laying down our sins, and laying down the way we cover them. The myriad of ways, the creative ways, the wicked ways, we cover them. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, the word them is big enough for all of us to hide under and be saved. That word, them is big enough for all of us to huddle underneath and be saved and be covered by the person and work of Jesus Christ. So what do you say tonight? Will you insist that you are righteous because of 1, 2, and 3, X, Y, and Z? Or will you lay it down and say, the only good in me is God. The only thing good in me is Christ. Christ alone. Let's pray. Dear friends, Adam and Eve lost the ability to draw near. And now God commands you in the name of Christ, draw near. Come to the throne room of grace and receive. Be lavished by His love. God is asking us the same questions he asked the first man, where are you? Who told you you were naked? Have you done what I asked you never to do? Have you disobeyed me? Let us not blame one another or our families or even ourselves tonight, but let us find refuge in that God was blamed for us. Jesus Christ was blamed in our place, was brutalized, and battered and humiliated and forsaken and disowned, in our place. For he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so we could become the righteousness of God. Do you know that when God sees you in Christ, he sees you as someone who has never made a mistake, never cursed, never misstepped, never lied cheated or stole did you know that not only that when God sees you in Christ he sees a woman or a man who has always obeyed always loved always been generous and always praises God did you know that I know it's so scandalous and it's so ridiculous that God would see me as someone who has always done the right thing. But that's what it means to find favor in His Son. The Father finds favor in those who trust in His Son and not trust in anything else for their righteousness and approval. I want to pray for you and then I will hand over Uh, to the praise team and the leaders. Lord God, we come to you tonight, and you invite us, Holy Spirit, to believe upon the Son. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. Who was wiped out so that our names could be written in the book of life. Behold the Lamb of God who was wounded so we could be healed. Behold the Lamb of God who was slaughtered so we could be made whole. Oh, Father, we are ashamed. We are ashamed, people. We are ashamed. And we shame one another. Forgive us. For we spread our righteousness and not yours. We spread false righteousness and unrighteousness and Korean righteousness and American righteousness. But we do not spread true righteousness. For it can only be found in you. Help us tonight to celebrate your righteousness and not ours. We get so excited about our righteousness via social media or plaques or degrees. But Lord, oh, your righteousness is my worth. Your righteousness defines me. Your righteousness is my salvation. Christ is my righteousness. It's in your name, oh Lord, we pray. Amen.